This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. You'll find uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as we begin a brand new series today, I'm always excited to start a new series. I really enjoyed the last one. Uh, series we just completed, um, but I'm looking forward to this one with great anticipation, page 1076 in the Bible that's in the chairs. If you didn't bring one, uh, you're welcome to use one of those, and if you're someone that maybe you do not own a Bible, don't have a copy of the Word of God, we have one for you at the Welcome Center. Please stop there and and, uh, and ask for one. We'll be glad to give that to you. Um, Mother's Day, um, <clears throat> if you can imagine, my mom is old school. Can you imagine that? My mom's old school, and uh, she turns 80 in September, and uh, and so uh, because my mom's old school, but my mom's not here, I want to honor my mom because I know how much my mom really appreciates it when I wear a coat and tie to church on Sunday. That's just kind of acceptable and what you're supposed to do. And, and so I do it once a year for my mom, even though she never gets to see it. But I'm honoring my mom that way. And there's a few others. I saw Steve with a coat and tie on. Tom's got a tie on. And, uh, and that's the only probably last time you'll see it this year. So enjoy it. Uh, Take a picture. By the way, if you didn't get a picture with mom, with your family, out there will be photographers, Terry and Sarah, out front, outside, after the gathering. They'll be glad to snap your picture so you can have a nice Mother's Day uh, photo today. Whether you're with mom or not, it makes no difference. If you want a nice photo, go out there and, and take care of that, and they'll be glad to, uh, to get that to you later on. All right? Um, if, if, you, um, if you've been around Christians a lot, and I have, I've been around Christians... For most of my life, I became a Christian at 10. Thank you, sir. Became a Christian at 10, and, um, and, and so I've spent, that means 50 years ago, I've spent the last 50 years um, around Christian people, uh, and, and I, I, my mom became a Christian just shortly before I did. My dad had been a Christian since he was 12, but he had fallen away from God like so many young people do. But God, you know what? Sometimes God uses things in your life to bring you back to God, doesn't he? And for my dad, it was a trip to Southeast Asia for a year and people shooting at him. And that kind of turned his life back around. He came back to the Lord uh, after that. So when he got back from Vietnam, when I was 11, my mom was now a Christian. He was now a Christian that had, had returned to Christ. And so we became one of those every time the doors were open church families. You know what I'm talking about? And back in those days, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And if there was a revival or a missions conference, we were there every single night. I, I don't imagine, I can't imagine today why it's so hard for people to come to church just on Sunday morning. We were there all the time, it seemed. So I've known probably over these last 50 years, I'm going to guess in, in, in my experience, in my life, I've known thousands probably, thousands of Christians Many of them I have maintained a friendship with over decades, ever since the 60s and 70s. Facebook has helped rekindle many of those friendships and some of those brothers and sisters in Christ. Decades later, since I last saw them or when I, when I began to get to know them, decades later, m- many of them remain so faithful to the Lord and they continue for years to walk the walk and talk the talk. I, I get a text every Sunday morning. I don't have my phone with me. I left it at home. 
But every Sunday morning about 7.30, my phone dings, and I have a text. And I know who it's from. It's from a friend of mine named Steve Powell. And Steve Powell, uh, I haven't seen Steve in about 30 years, other than picture on Facebook. I haven't seen him, but he's, I know he's there, and he's a retired police officer. His wife, Melinda, is a nurse, and they're still together, married, and they're still involved in the same church that we were involved in together back in the 80s. And every Sunday morning, I get a text from Steve that says, Rick, I'm praying for you this morning as you get up and preach God's word. And every week it's a little bit something different that he's praying, but he's praying for me, he's praying for us. I haven't seen the guy in 30 years, but every Sunday he prays for me. Steve, our series, this new series is about straddling the fence. I want you to know Steve is still on the right side of the fence. He hasn't climbed up on it. Steve's on the right side of the fence. There are some old Christian friends, however, who made some bad turns in their lives. They made some bad decisions, some poor choices. And some of them, and I know them, they got away from God for a while, but God's faithfulness and God's grace brought them, uh, that, that saved them, never left them. And even after wandering away from God for a while, they returned to their spiritual senses, realized that in Christ there is a better life than what they found on the other side of the fence, and they returned to him. A couple of years ago, uh, some of you ladies will remember we had a women's retreat here. Actually, I think it's been about four years ago, four or five years ago, a women's retreat here, and you heard the testimony of Terry's wick. Terry was one of those friends of mine that I've known since I was 15. Terry was one of those friends of mine who made some bad choices as a young adult, and she wound up married to an alcoholic and was an abused wife. Her husband wound up committing suicide. For a while, Terry lived in a shelter, and although she had Grown up in a Christian home, her dad had been a pastor. She went to a great Bible teaching church as a teenager. She found herself on the wrong side of the fence. You young people listen to this, and some of you adults as well who are single. She found herself on the wrong side of the fence, largely due to beginning to date and dating and then eventually marrying a guy who didn't follow Christ. I see that happen. I've seen that happen countless times over the years. But God turned her life around. She's now one of the strongest Christian women I know. She speaks across the country. She faithfully serves her church. She reaches out in her own community. She she established and built a a home, a shelter for, for abused women. She does so much and teaches women to trust God. You can, by the way, if you weren't here for that and you want to listen to her story, uh, ladies, I, let me encourage you to do so. She's, it's on our podcast. You just scroll down to the date, October 15th, 2011. Write that down. Go on our podcast and spend about 40 minutes listening to Terry. You'll be blessed by the things that she shares. Well, then there are those, there are also friends of mine who at one time had a very fiery passion for the Lord, but it seems that... <clears throat> Over the years, for whatever happened, the attractions of the world, of wealth, of sex, of success, whatever it is that wants to pull us away was in their lives like a strong magnet, pulling them not only to the fence, not only on top of the fence, but over the fence. And at first they were clearly on the Lord's side of the fence. When I knew them, they were living for God. And I, I would often, some of these folks, I wish I could follow Jesus like he does, like she does. But for a lot of different reasons, they started looking over the fence and listening to the lie that, hey, you know what? You can live on both sides. 
You can straddle the fence and reach out to Jesus with this hand and reach out to the world with that one, and you can have the best of both worlds. Trying to maintain balance on top of that fence and thinking, you know, God's not paying attention. God just, he, he notices me on Sunday. As a pastor, I grieve when I see Christians, especially partners in this church. Sometimes men, women, young people, sometimes couples, not only get on the fence, but then they eventually jump off to the other side. And it's a painful thing to watch these people, watch their, watch their spiritual lives die. And it doesn't have to be. That's what this series is about. Tom and I are going to open the word in the coming weeks and talk about that fence. Now, let me just say this, and I don't, I'm not making a judgment about anybody that I know that's sitting in this room, but with this many people in the room, let me just, I, I know this has to be true after all these thousands of Christians I've known. Some of you are sitting on the fence right now. Some of you are already there. You've moved over, you've seen the other side, you think, you know what, I want what I used to have back before Jesus, and you're sitting on the fence today, right now. Some of us are falling the wrong way. And before you know it, if you're not careful, your passion for the Lord will grow as cold as ice. And as pastors, I speak for all of our pastors. We have five pastors in our church. As pastors, we, we want to warn you and say to you, hey, come down off the fence. Because most of the time, my experience has told me, most of the time, those who, fall, who get on the fence will fall away from the Lord and his family. So a good place to start, <clears throat> I think, this series is for us to take a look at who we were before we met Jesus. A few weeks ago in our last series, remember I made a statement that said, who I was before Christ is not who I am in Christ. There ought to be a big difference. We're going to look in this series about who we were before we met Jesus as Savior and the life that he saved us from. Now, who knows better about that in writing in Scripture than the Apostle Paul? He knew what it was like before Christ. He saw the change that Jesus made in his life. And he knew what it was like about being on the wrong side of the fence. And he wrote some things that we have in the New Testament that help us understand from the spiritual perspective and from God's mind. Since the Holy Spirit inspired these words, these aren't Rick's words this morning, these are God's, about this life that we're given and what God's done for us. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, Paul writes to this church, these Christian people, and he says, And you were dead. That's describing my past. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. In, in the disobedient. We too all, he says, me too, all right? He's not pointing his finger at anybody. He says, me too. We too all previously lived among them, among the disobedient, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. First point in your notes this morning is this. Before knowing Christ, I was spiritually dead. Before knowing Christ, I was spiritually dead. <clears throat> dead. And here's the evidence that Paul gives. He says, first of all, the direction of my life was determined by the world. So was yours. 
It was determined by the world. What do you mean by the world? Our fleshly desires, he says, the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. John, the apostle John would write in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 2, he describes the world in a similar vein that Paul does. And John says to us as Christians, do not love the world. Now when he says love the world, he's not talking about the planet right? He's not talking about the dirt outside your house. Do not love the world. He's talking here. He'll explain to you what he's talking about. Don't love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in him. You have to make a choice. It seems because everything that belongs to the world. Now he describes what he means by the world the lust of the flesh, wanting things physically that maybe I don't have. Whether it's another person, another thing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the things that I see that are attractive to me, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Don't love the world, he said. Well, the direction of my life when I was dead was determined by the world. And then Paul says the world's ruler is Satan. It's the devil. He says he's the one who has authority over the lower heavens. That means what's going on right around us, the atmosphere. He's the, the older translations call him the prince of the power of the air. And now when he says the lower heavens, that's not the heaven where God dwells, where God's throne is. It's the heavens not the stratosphere where you see the planets, it's the, it's the air around us. In other words, what Paul is saying is he's in control of this world. You know, remember the story when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert? One of the things he promised Jesus was this. He said, listen, if you'll just bow down and worship me, here's what I'll give you. And he took him up to a high place and he said, look around, you see all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give those to you. Why? Because they are under his control. I'll give those to you. He's the one who rules the world that controlled my life and yours before I knew Christ. Then the next point Paul makes is that life that I live was in disobedience to God. I was directed by the world. Satan has control of that world. So what came out of my life? Disobedience to God. That's the, another word for that in the scripture is sin. And whether I knew it or not, whether I understood it or not, and it includes every single one of us here. And this isn't a judgment, by the way, from Christians. This isn't Christians looking down their nose at non-Christians, right? That's not what it is. This is just saying this is who we all were, Christians, this isn't a judgment against those who don't know Christ. This is all of us are included here. And then he says, and here's the deal. Our three greatest enemies in our lives remain today the world, the devil, and ourselves. You know, a lot of people want to put, have you met those people that every time something bad happens in their life, every time they, they make a wrong decision, every time they're tempted to sin, they blame it on the devil? Have you met those kind of people? Well, that's a bunch of baloney. Most of the time, I have nobody to blame but me. I'm my worst enemy. The devil is my enemy as well. The world that's out there that wants to entice me is also my enemy. But then there's good news. Begins in verse 4, down through verse 5. Here's the, here's the next point. But God intervened and made us alive. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... 
because of his great love that he has made for us, has made us alive with the Messiah, with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. Do you see what's happening there? I was dead and he has made me alive. You are saved by grace, he says to them. He's going to repeat that again in a moment. If if you've got your Bible there, grab a pen, a pencil, whatever you've got, and circle those words, but God, at the beginning of verse 4. I've heard people see preachers get up and say, these are two of the most pivotal words in all the Bible, but God, but God. Paul says, God, who is rich in mercy, did something. He's rich in mercy. What is mercy, by the way? Mercy is when God does not give me what I deserve. That's mercy. I deserve punishment, and God withholds it. That's mercy. God not giving me what I deserve. Have you ever not gotten what you deserved in life? Yeah. I mean, when you deserve something bad and you didn't get it, that's mercy when, you know, and sometime maybe you can think back to when your parents should have just slam worn you out for something you did, and they chose not to, not because you lied to them, not because you deceived them, just because of their own mercy they chose. Now, some of you say, that never happened to me. I always got worn slam out, all right? Um, mercy. God does not give me what I Deserve. Psalm 103, verse 10, explains mercy. Read that with me. Let's read it aloud together. It's up on the screen. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our offenses. That's mercy. He has not dealt with us as my sins deserve or repaid me according to my offenses. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, Paul says. We are born that way. It's inherited. On Mother's Day, let me just give all you moms a uh, um, a high five because it's not inherited from you, it's inherited from dad. All right, scripture tells me it's passed down from our fathers. Whenever your mother looked at you as a child and said, you're just like your father, she was absolutely right. Okay? She was telling the truth. Comes from Adam. The Bible says we all have sinned in Romans 3.23. All, and all means all, and that's all, all means. So that's you and that's me. That's every baby in our nursery this morning. That's every child upstairs in Calabunga Cove. We're all sinners and without the but God intervening. God stepping in. There is no hope for any of us without that. Not in this life, not for eternity. So God's rich mercy Because of his great love for us, a love that we cannot comprehend, why would God love somebody who continually rebels against him? Why would God love those who nailed his son to the cross? You say, well, I wasn't there doing that. The Bible says my sin nailed Jesus to the cross. He bore my sin on the cross. Why would he love us? When you figure that out, please tell me. All right? The only reason I know is because he is a God that has this amazing capacity far beyond yours or mine to love. This is a love we cannot comprehend. I I love the old hymn, Oh, what wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. And ask the question, how in the world can God love people like me? A love that we cannot comprehend. He provided what was necessary for us to be made alive in Christ. And that's why, by the way, 
We were dead, but God has made us alive. That's why we should celebrate the resurrection, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday year round. That's why we have this baptismal tank here. And in the water, people, Paul said in Romans, he said, we are buried with him in baptism in the likeness of his death. We are raised to walk in newness of life. This is a picture of the new life that he's given us. It's why we celebrate like we do. The resurrection. And even, he did that even though we were dead due to our own rebellion against him because that's what sin is. Rebellion, disobedience to God. And Paul explains, not only was God rich in mercy, he said it's by grace that you're saved. Grace is different from mercy. Grace is, if you take a coin, grace is one side of the coin and mercy is the other. What is grace? Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. God giving me what I don't deserve. He gives me grace. It's a free gift. We deserve what? We deserve death and we deserve punishment, judgment. Instead, God gives me life and he gives me forgiveness. That's his grace. Then verse 6, read verse 6 with me. Together with Christ Jesus, he has also raised us up and sealed us in the heavens. Salvation, you note, salvation raises us to a place. Here's the place. I hope you get this, that the world can't touch. You want a safe place? You're living, Christian. You have a safe place where you live right now. Where is that? With Christ. With Christ. Remember last week we talked about Christ, the fact that Christ is in me. Together with Christ, he's raised us up to a place we can't touch. God says this is where God puts you. Now, this isn't so easy to grasp, all right? Some of you are looking at me kind of puzzled looks. Not so easy to grasp, but this is, Paul says this is where God puts you and me, where when by his grace he saves us in Christ. It says he has seated us in the heavens. What does that mean? You look at each other around the room and say, I know where I'm seated. I'm seated in a room in Nags Head, North Carolina. What do you mean seated us in the heavens. And this is so key that we understand this. Let me try to explain it. Just as God raised us up with Jesus and made us alive. Again, that's what baptism pictures. When, we, when he saves us, he raises us, makes us alive. He also at the same moment sees you and me. Imagine God looking at you. God sees you and me with Christ in heaven, even though we're not there yet. He sees us in this place in heaven where we're delivered from our enemies. Remember who our enemies are? The world, the devil, and ourselves. And unlike you and me, how can God do that? Because he's not human. God's not bound by time. God sees everything. He sees eternity. He's not bound by the present, by what I see. What can we see? Well, I can only see what's in front of my physical eyes right now. Same thing for you. I cannot see, I can imagine, I can picture in my mind, but I cannot see where I will be one hour from now. I kind of have an idea. An hour from now, I hope to be outside in the parking lot helping people find places to park. I love doing that. And that's where I kind of see myself wearing that nice orange vest so you don't run over me. That's kind of where I see myself, but I don't know that's where I'm going to be. I picture that. I can only see really what's right in front of me. I cannot see the inside of my home right now. I know what it looks like. 
I can maneuver it pretty well in the dark unless Gail sets something where I did not know she said it, you know. I have the stub toes to prove that. I can't see the inside of my home. I can imagine it, but I can't see it. So here physically, we are see where we're seated, but God can see into the future, and the Bible says he sees us who are saved as being seated in heaven with Christ. Close your eyes and picture that for a moment. Imagine that. You can't see it yet, but you can sure imagine it, can't you? Seated in heaven with Christ. Now, here's the big question for you and me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God sees you seated in heaven with Christ if you are his child? Do you believe that? Because if you believe it, then that truth will begin to change how you see yourself right now. And here's what I mean. If you see yourself as God sees you seated in the heavens with Christ, you'll no longer see the things of this world that want to pull us down and away from Christ as being so desirable anymore. Why? Because I see myself in heaven. What's better than that? What's this world got to offer that tops that? I see myself with Christ. What's around me then in terms of things that might bring me temporary enjoyment, but frankly don't bring me any closer to Christ or the things that are eternal in heaven? Just don't compare. It's so easy to reach for the temporary, isn't it? Isn't it easy? It's easy to reach for things that don't last. Mostly because our flesh wants to be satisfied when? Now. Right now. I don't want to wait for the best things that wait me in heaven. Yeah, I see, I can close my eyes and I can picture myself in heaven with Jesus, but Rick, that's not going to be for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years, you think. I don't want to wait that long to enjoy life. You're missing it all together. You're looking for things to bring you satisfaction and pleasure that just aren't going to work. I have to have some sense of happiness now we convince ourselves, even if it's not a choice that will bring Christ honor. Paul said it this way in Colossians, what he just said in Ephesians. Colossians 3.1, he says, So if you have been raised with the Messiah, that's you Christians, he's saying, Since you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is. Seated at the right hand of God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.33. Maybe you know this verse. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Go after that. Here's Here's the reason why it's so important that I start seeing myself as God sees me. Already seated in heaven with Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I made the statement and I said, and some of you kind of perplexed you and some of you said, I don't know if I agree with that. I said that God didn't save you for you. Remember me saying that? God did not save you for you. Did that make you blink for a second? Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a second. What do you mean God didn't save me for me? God saved me so I could have forever. That's for me, right? I went on to say that God saved you for his glory. That's why he saved you. Look at verse 7. So that in, God seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages, we might, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? And we've all walked into a department store 
in a mall. If you're raised in the Outer Banks and you've never left here, you don't know what a mall is. Somebody explain that to you. But we've all gone shopping maybe, you know, as a little boy. My mom used to take us at Christmas time. My mom would take us walking down. I don't know what street it was in, in Washington, D.C., and they were all decorated for Christmas. And inside the windows... They had all kinds of neat Christmas things going on, animated things. And, and as a little kid, we just loved. And for me, the most exciting thing about doing that, going that, doing that Christmas window shopping with my mother, you know what the most exciting thing was? Is when we got started to get real cold, we would go inside and ride the escalator. You've all gone window shopping, is what we call it. And in windows, inside the windows of these stores, they display their wares. They display the clothes they're selling. They display a music store, their instruments, the guitars and saxophones and so forth. The shoe store, they display their Air Jordans. They display the jewelry, if it's a jewelry store. They've got stuff there for you to see. Why do they put it there for you to see? We call those things displays. They hire people in the stores, and that's all they do is set up these displays. And the purpose of the display is to do what? To entice me to look at that and say, I want that. I'm going to go inside and check that out. That looks good to me. I see that. I don't have it. But I know that if I go in the store, they've got this in there, and I can get it. It might be a tool, whatever it might be displays, hoping that I'll come inside and make a purpose, a purchase. Do you see what Paul is saying to, to us here? He says again in verse 7, he said, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How does he display those things? Here's the deal. God saved me so that I can display his grace. Again, let me say it again. God didn't save me for me. God, God saved me for his glory that I might display to the world his grace. Now, that does not mean that you and I are mannequins. Does not mean that we're robots. We are alive, we're living, we're breathing, we have choices that we make. But the Bible says here, God has saved me so that I can demonstrate to the world around me how powerful his grace is to me, to you. This is our witness. It does no good to tell others about the wonderful grace of Jesus if my life displays something else. We used to say in the old days that we practice what we preach, that we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk, it does no good to talk about it if our lives say something else. And then to put an exclamation point on the greatness of his grace, we have verses 8 and 9, which if you have not memorized these two verses, please do. Verse 8, for by grace, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Why is it not from ourselves? Why isn't this salvation? How come I can't work for it? How come I can't gain it on my own? Why is this not from myself? Well, you bounce back to verse 1, because I am what? Before I knew Christ, I am dead. What can a dead person do? Not a thing. They can't help themselves. They can't do a thing for themselves. They have no ability in and of themselves, because I was dead. And dead people can't do anything. For themselves. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. And then it goes on and says, This grace, this salvation that God's given you is God's gift. 
not from works so that no one can boast. It's, not, it's, it's God's gift to us so that none of us can say, you know, I used to be a pretty miserable person, but I've worked really hard, and, and, and now I'm, I'm good with God. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. Because I've tried so hard and I've done so many things. I go to church and, and I give a tithe and I, and I find a place to serve in, in ministry. And all those things are good things. I'm not going to discount those things at all. But none of those things will get you into heaven. And if you think they will, you've missed it. You won't be there. Because salvation must totally be by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 10. Here's our purpose. Look with me at verse 10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. My life's purpose, taking notes, is in Christ. My life's purpose is in Christ. The key to living, the key to living the life of a Christian, the key to walking the walk the key to not climbing the fence and trying to fool myself that, hey, look at me, I can stay balanced up here. I'm not going to fall over. Remember when we did that kind of stuff when we were little kids? I remember my mom one time, my my buddies and I, we lived down in, in, in eastern North Carolina and we had a big swamp and creek behind our houses and we used to play back there all the time. I can't imagine going walking in there anymore, you know, because I know there's water moccasins out there and copperheads out there. And, 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 but we used to play back there all the time. And one, it was a Sunday afternoon. Mom, me and my buddies were going to go walking through the woods and all that. She knew that creek was back there. And she knew that a creeks to little boys are enticing. And she knew, don't, and it was kind of chilly outside and, and don't, uh, you better not come home Wet was what I was told. You, and I'd never fallen in the creek, never. So that day we were out walking around through the swamp and the woods and we come to a place where we want to cross the creek and there's a tree that's fallen across the creek. We can do this. So a couple guys, they do it, prove to me, you know, why did the chicken cross the road? To prove to the possum it could be done. So I, I, I watched these other guys cross the creek on the log and I said, they did it, I can do it. And you know what's coming, don't you? I'm crossing the creek on that log, and for whatever reason, I lost my balance and fell into the creek. And I got wet, you know, up to here. I fell in feet first. And I knew, oh, when I get home, back up the message a few minutes, I'm going to get worn slam out. I don't remember if there was any mercy or grace that day or not. I just, uh, you know, I, I kind of doubt it knowing my mom. But anyway, um, we, we think we, we, that we tell ourselves, I can balance myself. I'm not going to fall over. And the key to not getting to that place where we're even on that fence is knowing that I am in Christ. I am now in Christ. I am seated with him in the heavens. I am in Christ. Jesus doesn't climb those fences. He doesn't get up there. So neither should I. Instead, God's purpose for creating all of us to do the good works, what's this good works about that has created me to do? If it's not to get me heaven, I've already got heaven because of faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. 
What's the purpose of the good works? Again, you bounce back to the display part, and it kind of ties in with that. God's purpose for creating all of us to do the good works was so that we could display his grace. But here's the problem. Sin destroyed the original creation. So along comes salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it wipes out that sin and restores the life we lost because of sin. But don't miss that last part here. In verse 10, Paul tells us this, God has already prepared the opportunities, the good works. He's already prepared those for us. Now, you know, I can't see them. I don't know what's going to happen in my life this week, nor do you. I don't know the people that are coming into, into contact with me this week, nor do you. But God does, and he's already prepared ahead for you opportunities for you to display his grace. But I can't see them. I certainly can't do them, and I can't do what God has prepared for me if I'm staring through the fence, if I'm climbing the fence, if I'm sitting on the fence. I want you to get that. When my focus, your focus, is on the gratification of our flesh, in doing what my flesh wants to tell me, not what my Lord wants to tell me to do, In whatever way that tempts me, and we're all tempted in different ways by different things, I'm not able then to see the good that God has for me to live and to do, and I miss being a display of his grace. See, in Christ, he has made us alive. In Christ, by his grace, he saved us from our sin and eternal hell. In Christ, he sees me and you already, Christian, seated in heaven. In Christ, we're to live lives above the mess of this world to display that grace so that our words and our lives agree and those around us will have the opportunity to be given life as well in Christ. A gospel song of a generation ago. I heard this as a young person, young man, but the words were so great. And it very simply said this, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus. When you're tempted to go to the fence, and we all will be, everybody will. When you're tempted to go to the fence, I want you to remember this, these words. Just remember two words, in Christ. I am in Christ. Don't need to go there. I'm in Christ. Don't need to look through the fence. I'm in Christ. For God's sake, I don't need to climb the fence and try to balance my life between the world and Christ. I am in Christ. Come down off the fence because God sees me seated in heavenly places with Jesus right now. That's where I am. See myself there in my imagination because that's where God sees me. When you find yourself, as some of you are, some of you will be, when you find yourself sitting on the fence, let me encourage you, if I can right now, if that's where you are today, come down. Come down on Christ's side. And if you fall to the desert side of the fence, you fall to the other side. See, the grass is not greener over there. It might appear to be, but when you get over there, you find it's nothing but thistles and thorns. When you fall to the other side of the fence and discover this is not where I belong, 
I want you to remember this Christian. Because some of you will do that. But I want you to remember, man, I was there on Mother's Day and Rick told me this. Remember this. I'm still in Christ. I can get out of here. I'm still in Christ. He will welcome me back. It's all wrapped up in Christ and in his grace. Stay away from the fence. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you'll help us to grasp the depth of what Paul was saying. This is not just pie-in-the-sky stuff. He was saying to you, To me and to every believer in this room, you I see you in Christ. I see you seated in the heavens with him because you were dead and I made you alive by my rich mercy. I saved you by my grace. You don't have to fall off the fence. You don't have to go back to the other side. Stay in Christ. Unite with his family. Tighten up with them. Whatever you need to do, see yourself in Christ. I pray that we'll do that today. If someone today is on the fence, maybe someone's fallen off the fence to the wrong side. Some of us are struggling right now and we see our lives headed the wrong direction. I pray that today, God, we would turn around. We climb back over and realize you're there to welcome us because we are in Christ. And you love your son more than anything else in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world. 